Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the author and novelist Matt Bell. We're chatting today about his brilliant latest book called Refuse to be Done, a guide to novel writing, rewriting and revision. He is also the author of multiple novels, including Appleseed, which was a New York Times notable book. And he teaches creative writing at Arizona State University. I absolutely love this book. I read a lot of books on writing and how to write and storytelling. And this is one of my favorites. It's called Refuse to be Done, How to Write and Rewrite a Novel in Three Drafts. And I've been using tools from it recently as I work on my own future fiction projects. And I have found it so useful. It's confidence building, but it's also really, really practical. And there's so much good stuff in there. So I really recommend. And we chat all about this. We talk about novel writing mainly and all of the things that we've both learned along the way. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed chatting to Matt and you can find a link to the book in the show notes. Here is the conversation. So I'm really excited to have Matt Bell, author of many books, but most recently Refuse to be Done. And I am in the middle of my second novel. I feel like this book came at a really good time for me personally, and I just can't wait to talk to you about it. I think it's fantastic. So thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. I appreciate it. Obviously, you have been through the novel process. Your novel, Appleseed, did really well. You've been writing novels for, for a long time. Yeah, for I think my first novel came out uh, ten, it'll be ten years ago next year. So you oh, know, wow. so uh, um, well, I refused to be done. Kind of came first from my own practice. You know, I I don't know what your path to novel writing was, but I wrote two novels before my first published one that I never really showed anybody. I sort of knew they were um, work I was doing to learn how to write novels. They were sort of clearly not publishable books in different ways. Um, but then when I wrote the first draft of In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, my first novel, I, I kind of got done with it and was like, now what? Like I sort of, you know, it's 300 pages long, but it was clearly not like a publishable book. And I realized I really didn't know how to revise in a uh, systematic way. I'd been sort of with short stories, you know, just kind of like doing them over and over until they were good, which is, you know, felt too daunting with the larger books. So the earliest material that's in this book really came from just me trying to learn how to write novels myself and really how to revise them. Um, and it eventually became a craft lecture I was giving that was sort of my traveling show when I'd be asked to be at a writing conference or a low res program or my own classes. And I gave the craft talk version of the book for about 10 years. Um, and, uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the university of Alabama and a professor there, Heidi Lynn Staples came up to me after the talk and was like, you know, this should be a book, right? And I was like, maybe it should be a book. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote the book between the drafts of Appleseed. So I, I'd write a draft of Appleseed, then I wrote a draft of Refuse to be Done, then I wrote another one. So they kind of got written together. Um, writing a book about how to revise your novel as you're revising your novel turned out also to be pretty useful. Yeah. Oh my God. That's kind of the perfect way to do it I mean because sometimes in the book I was like wow you're really spot on with like how it feels emotionally so that makes yeah. sense now <laughs> that you were going through that but what I love about the book is that you know writing a novel is really difficult but I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes we don't say that because it puts people off so I love that the book is about three drafts in my head I'm like oh, okay three like that's that's good that's doable but actually within each draft obviously there's tons of work I feel like you're really on our side when we're reading the book. 
Yeah, I love that. That's uh, been one of the best things is sort of hearing that feeling from people because I think that's true. Um, I think I'm a pretty encouraging teacher sort of generally. And I, I do believe most of what you need to learn to write a novel is is doable. Like, you know, I obviously people have talent, I guess, uh, but I think uh, you can cultivate that and most of what you need is sort of learnable. Um, but it can be very opaque when you haven't gone through it for the first time. And I think having uh, to know that the things you're feeling are normal or to know that the struggles you're having are normal. Um, I teach When I teach novel writing, I teach it as a generative class. So everybody starts from zero and they write together as opposed to bringing in like a finished book. And one of the reasons to do that is that so they go through the stages together, right? You sort of, um, their first drafts will all look kind of have similar elements or have similar things that aren't quite working or are working because they're first drafts, but you think they're not working because it doesn't look like a finished book. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, uh, in first chapters of first drafts, my students often have all this like digression and backstory. And it's like, there's like no propulsion yet, but it's because they're learning who their characters are and they're learning what the world is of the book is. And later all that stuff will appear in different form or just come out, um, but they get really dismayed because they think they're doing something wrong when really they're doing, I think, the exact kind of exploratory discovery writing they're supposed to be doing. So hopefully the book does do that thing where you're like, these things that I'm working on or these struggles I'm having are normal ways to be at this stage in the process. Because um, you only see people's finished books, right? And you don't get to have any access to how the book was written ever, really. Exactly. I guess, demystifying of the process because a friend of mine is a brilliant novelist. She's written about 10 novels, but um, she's only recently started kind of being really honest about her first drafts and, you know, how she feels unconfident and insecure. And I understand why some people might not want to say that because it's like when you're right. in it, it's really hard. But what she's, I just, even just being like, oh my God, you too, you also feel like this. And then you realize <laughs> yeah. everyone feels like this. But I really like in the very beginning, you kind of, you do give that pep talk. And a lot of this feels like, and maybe this is generalization, obviously there's loads of tools, but the first tool is like, you have to believe you can do it. Even the, you know, even you saying like, call it a novel, give it a name, give it a working title. Hey, that is so simple, but something that I've only just realized. Yeah, I think um, I think it's all confidence tricks in some ways. The reason, you know, so much of refuse to be done is about like breaking it into these small achievable tasks, which is just because you can believe you can do a small achievable task. But like write a novel is like way too big of a almost, almost too big of a goal, right? It's like too big of a yeah. thing, and it gets dispersed over so much time. Um, in uh, the the naming the book thing, I think is really important. The sort of like giving it a working title. Uh, in in my own practice, that's that's really useful. But I see it in class with other writers too. Instead of everybody being like, like I'm writing a book, I'm writing a project, I'm writing a novel, you know, just being able to be like. Um, you know, uh, in Matt's book, Appleseed, and refer to it as if it exists, even when it doesn't yet. It sort of makes mm -hmm. it feel real, like you're you're uh, excavating something from the world as opposed to like inventing it. And it makes the process feel really different. Um, I feel yeah. like I know my students' books as objects before they've written anything. Um, and there's something really exciting about being around that. And certainly a gift you can give yourself or, or get away from the sort of, I'm trying to write something kind of like self-deprecation we mostly do. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I tweeted you actually about this, but that trick in the book around making the margins bigger and mm. getting your word count up. And actually some something that someone told me years ago that stayed with me was, finishing when you're actually really excited. If you've done like a few hours of writing and you're leaving and you're about to 
get into a really juicy paragraph to actually not write it, save it for the next mm-hmm. day. I mean, what what's some, some of your favorite things? Like, I know you're working on a next novel. What are you like going back to? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm in uh, like kind of late second draft stage and refuse to be done language. Um, I think that ending when you're excited, it feels really good. I mean, you have to fall in love with your book so many times to finish it, right? You know, this sort of constant getting back into it that feels good. Um, one of the signs for me that I'm I'm in a good stretch is I, I run, you know, five days a week in the morning and um, I'm out for my run and my brain is just like churning the book. It's like I, I've just woken up and it wants to go, you know, and you feel that good feeling. I think one of the ways that I, I create that um, is I like to look at the book right before I go to bed. I just I look on my on my e-reader on my tablet um, so I can't really edit. You know, I just want to look at it um, and I try to find something that I feel excited about working on the next morning or even just something small that I can fix as soon as I sit down so that my brain works on it overnight. And I wake up being like, I know I know what to do when I sit down because I decided it the day before instead of waking up bleary, bleary sitting at the computer and being like, what now? You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's that's a good part of it. Uh, and I always have little marching orders for the for each book. Uh, when I was writing Appleseed, I had a sticky note on the on my Mac that just said, like, uh, go big with wonder. And it was like every day I was trying to like add wonder to the book. And that, that keeps you in contact with your own wonder, you know, and you're sort of feeling that. Um, that you're leaving these things for the reader, where you're also making them for yourself. Uh, with the book I'm writing now, there's a Jane Smiley quote where she talks about like every great book containing incomprehensible abundance. And I just had this note at the top of the manuscript that like add incomprehensible abundance today, which, you know, what does that even mean? But I also feel like it's a fun thing to add, make the book more abundant, make the book more full, make the book more sort of life-giving, um, even if it's about something difficult. And those feel like good ways to sort of enter the space every day. Yeah, for sure. I really like that about reading it on an e-reader, actually, because I went through a phase of printing out my work a lot and I yeah. kind of felt a bit guilty about it. So I was like, maybe there's another <laughs> way than like killing yes. all the trees. <laughs> yes. Um, but actually, yeah, maybe uh, we for the listeners, we could give a little bit of an overview to the three drafts. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's tons in the book and everyone go and get the book. Um, but I've got to say, I loved what you said about the first draft, if we start there, that really spoke to me because I actually felt like I'd not heard someone else say that what I was doing was okay. So when I write my first draft, I'm writing, I'm just writing into it to even know what it is. Right. You write in the book so well that basically the first draft is allowed to be literally just you having fun and exploring. Um, I always thought first drafts were meant to be better than that. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God first drafts don't have to be better than that. I mean, I feel, yeah, I, I I really feel like you should just go look at whatever you want in a first draft. Let things be baggy. Let things be sort of um, work in ways that you know they're not going to work in a, a final draft. Because uh, you really want to find other material. Uh, you know, you know for me in the book that I'm not a big outliner before I start. I outline later in the process. But I, I think one of the reasons that is to not try to be too sure of what the book is before I write the book. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the two big fears that people t- told me on tour over and over starting out were, uh, I don't know enough about my book to start which I'm like, I don't know that you have to know anything and, and feeling like I'm not a good enough writer yet to write the book I want to write. 
And I think you discover the book by writing it and you become the writer you need to be by writing the book. Like there's really no way to learn how to write each novel, each novel being its own thing without writing that book. Um, you know, you've written a, a handful of books. I've written a handful of books. Halfway through every book, I'm like, how do you write a book? Why don't I know how to do this? But I don't know how to write this book because it's new and I'm learning yeah. and I'm challenging myself. And that's part of the, the fun. Um, I really, I love that idea of Charlie Smith that's in the book of writing the islands of sort of writing the parts you can see, writing the parts you're most excited about, that sort of like staying in contact with your own sort of joy and interest in the book, um, as opposed to feeling like you have to write certain kinds of scenes because, you, I, I mean, have to, who says? This is like obligatory writing we do in drafts of novels that is not usually very good and doesn't have to be there because we have some imagined like overlord who's telling us what to do. But I think, yeah, just following your own sort of joy in the book. Um, I frequently write, write things I know will not be in the final book, but there's no way they possibly can be. They can't work like this. And they turn out to be the places where I do tons of my learning um, by letting like a character give a monologue or letting people have a conversation where they talk really directly about the themes of the book as opposed to doing it in like an artsy way. Um, mm. And it's really useful to allow myself just to let characters do those kind of things. Yeah. And when people say that you end up writing multiple books for one book, now I get it. Yeah, that always yeah. that always felt really daunting to me. Like I don't want to write loads of books for one book. But I guess when you, <laughs> when you when you when you put it out like that, what I'm realizing is my first draft ends up getting deleted as I go. Right. But I had to write that first draft to even know who the characters were and all that stuff. Yeah. Um I don't know if you'll agree with this, this is just me, but I find the second draft in, in the refuse to be done three steps, I find the second draft most daunting mm -hmm. is that something that you hear a lot from people you know my my second draft suggestion is this sort of full book rewrite to sort of do it again but with a plan kind of on top of the discovery draft and it is daunting and it's a lot of work like the idea of doing a hard thing twice is is a hard hard thing to ask people right um for me that second draft goes so far and does so much work that I, I would be afraid of skipping it, even if the first draft was pretty clean because I get so much out of it. And I, I really think a lot about, uh, I think this quote is in the book, but it's, um, it's from Amy Tan talking about that when you write a second draft, you're writing in the voice of all that happened, that you know in that first draft, you're discovering the story and the second draft you're writing from, uh, with all that knowledge and you know who the characters are and you know what the world is. And, you're, and usually the prose has gotten a lot better as well. Um, my experience, before I started doing fuller rewrites is that the hardest material to make as good as the last material is the first stuff you wrote. There's that energy in the first pages you write that made you want to write the book, but they, they tend to be thinner and the characters are, are not quite as fully fleshed out as they will be later. And the prose isn't quite as good. And so rewriting allows you to make new versions of those scenes with like all the knowledge that you have by the time you, you ended that first draft. Um, in my experience, that's, that takes everything so far that I, I think it's worth doing the work. Um, and also, to, that's the one for me that feels like writing a book because I know what I'm doing and I know the voice and I've gotten pretty good at the voice by writing that first draft. And like when I finish that second draft, I'm always like, oh, I wrote a novel. And when I finish the first draft, I'm always like, I wrote a long thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's, it is daunting to do it again. And I'm in the middle of mine right now and it's, I feel very daunted. Um, but, uh, but I know that's where a lot of the real work gets done for me. Yeah, no, that's so true. It really is. It's it's like when I read that part of the book about how you would have two monitors, is that right? Yeah. Where you would like yeah. transfer over and like rewrite the whole book again. 
I mean, sometimes I think people might like their heart might sink a little bit of like, yeah, oh my God, so. that's so much work. <laughs> but I also think that that's what makes novels so special. And I think that's why not everyone can just do them immediately. Like there, there's something about a, a published novel that you just know is sweat, blood and tears. And that's what yeah. makes it such an amazing experience to read. Yeah. And I think knowing that other people do that work is, is useful. You know, I, um, I, I often use Lauren Groff as an example on, on tour because I know that she does this, but she writes a first draft by hand, you know, discovering as she goes. Um, and then she puts it in a drawer and never looks at it again and then writes the second draft on the computer. And part of it for her is about separating these two different tasks, right? Like she says, if she writes to the computer, her like perfection brain sets in and she wants to make like everything she can see on the screen, like perfect sentences, make it, you know, and it jams her when she's discovering. So the writing by hand, is about like learning what the book is. And then she tries to write this more perfect version of it. I think separating those two tasks is good for me too. Um, the kind of scene I would write in a first draft, I wouldn't usually let myself do in a second draft. It wouldn't be as baggy. It wouldn't be as, you know. Um, I, I think a lot about, one of the reasons I teach those novel writing classes it, where everyone's at the same stage is because I think a lot about how you can only learn what novels can do by like going to the bookstore or the library and reading them. You can see what the final product can do, but you just can't get that sense of those stages or the way that the things improve as they go. Um, and seeing other people do it is really useful. I think that's the best reason to be in like a writing group, way more than like the critique you get or like feedback you get. It's just like watching other people work through their stuff is so uh, instructional. And podcasts like yours, you get to hear about how other people do it are obviously a similar way of trying to like glean some of that information from each other because it's hard to imagine everyone else struggling as much as you are <laughs> i know and it's like sorry that it's not as glamorous as um the movies make out i suppose <laughs> um but yeah no it's true and also i feel like the, the what i love about your book is that there are no hard and fast rules like you're not saying like it has to be this way and i yeah. think whatever works for whatever works for you but to actually have all this laid out you can kind of pick and choose as well the third draft, for me, I feel like I know I can do it because I know that I've written a novel. And I feel like even getting to that word count and getting to that point, it's not like you sail through to the end. But I don't know, I quite enjoy that last draft or however many drafts. No, I do, too. I think um, I, exactly as you said, like you have the book, the story's there, it's structured pretty well. Um, and then you're just making it the best it can be. And it does tend in my to get like much better in that third draft. It starts like there's a point where I'm like, oh, this starting to feel like a book that could be on a shelf, you know, and you feel like um, I I feel like it's hard to explain to people how much like your prose and the and the and stuff was tighten up in that last draft. Like it'll be uh, I think about putting together Ikea furniture a lot. Right. You know, when you, uh, you're following the instructions and half the instructions are like, don't tighten the screws down all the way. And you've got this like wobbly table and you're like, there's no way this is going to work. And then at the end, you go back and you tighten everything down and it, and it's solid. And I feel like the third draft is a lot of like screw tightening, you know, it's, um, but, uh, but things do sort of tighten up to get shorter. I, I don't know about you, my books tend to get much shorter in that place. I, I'm over writer cuts back. So usually gets more refined. And there's always a point where I start to be able to imagine like it being a published book in that phase. Um, I've been happy with it for a while in like a story mode. And then suddenly I can really see that it's it's becoming itself. But yeah, I find the mechanics of like polishing the book very satisfying. It's like the beautifying yeah. the thing is, is quite a pleasure, yeah. That's so interesting. And I also kind of, what I got from the book as well was 
this sort of reassurance, I guess, that like we live in a real like productivity focused world. Yes. Everything's about like churning stuff out, making things, being fast, getting it done. And like something that I'm having to make peace with with this book that I'm working on is that I need to put it in a drawer for like a month. And, you know, I'm lucky I do other things. I don't know how full-time novelists like that just do that kind of function because I think I'd go a bit mad. I kind of need to right, like, have a too. break from it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I just wondered like, is that another piece of this that you can't, you kind of can't rush it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I always say like the goal, like efficiency is not the goal, like a great book is the goal, right? You know, and I think that's important, but I, I do understand, I certainly understand the productivity craze because we all have that, of course, and are trying to use our time the best we can. But um, I think everybody wants to know before they begin that it'll be worth doing, that it'll turn out, that it'll, you know, and sort of, and the not knowing that for a long time is hard, or the idea of not knowing that for a long time is hard. Um, I think when I was writing my first novel, I remember thinking like, oh, the real skill you have to have is like the ability to be uncertain for like a long mm -hmm. time. And I'm like, I, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to cultivate in yourself because we so rarely let ourselves feel that. Um, and I think that's some of the reasons why you have to find like your own personal joy during the uncertain parts of the thing. Because the, my books, at least, are not really showable to other people for a long time. Um, I don't, I don't even, I don't show people early pages. I don't tell my agent what I'm working on usually until I'm about a year in. And then I send them these notes that are like a crazy synopsis of the book, and he writes me back like, "We'll make it work." <laughs> I go back in my <laughs> hole for two more years, you know. Um, and so a lot of it is just like believing that it'll turn out. Um, and I always want it to be done earlier too. There's always a point where I'm like, it's good enough. It's close. I'm almost there. Um, but I think, you know, the books take the time to take, and I'm always glad that I've, I've gone through it. Uh, once you've been through the process a couple of times, I and mean, I'm sure this is the same for you, you look at like the first draft of your last novel and you look at the final and you're glad for all the time you spent. Like the idea of that first draft being the one that's on the shelf is usually like, I mean, it would make me die. Like it's just like the mm. worst idea. Um, so I, I think, but it is hard if you've never gone through the process to believe uh, that it's worth doing all that work and also that the book's going to change as much as it does. I think it's hard to, if you've never gone through like a whole revision process, plus the editing process with the publisher, um, the books get so much better as they go through. But I, I don't know if you can see that from the like shores of your first draft if you've never done it before. Um, so you have to sort of yeah. believe it in advance. That's so true. I actually went back and dug out my first draft of my previous novel to remind myself. And, um, <laughs> and I guess... For people wondering, you know, listening in, I, from my point of view, I would always recommend to kind of write the novel first before you try and sell it. Because yeah. I think um, with nonfiction, I find that I can sell a proposal and and write it quite quickly because it's kind right. of different. But um, with novels, I, I don't know if I'd want the pressure of someone being like, you know, tapping their watch at me. Right. It does seem like it's bad for almost everyone to have like a novel sold in advance. Uh, my second novel, I, I did sell while I was halfway through it. Um, but I, also, I had like very little sort of time pressure on it. They were sort of like, uh, every, like maybe every six months they'd check in and they're like, when do you think you might be done? You know, <laughs> and it didn't take me like an enormous amount of time. They just wanted to schedule, right? Um, but it was, it was different writing it in that way. I um, actually sold it to them without showing them any pages. Uh, it was sort of the first novel was doing well, and I think they were just trying to keep me around, which I appreciate. Um, and uh, I sold it to them based on like a verbal description of the book. Um, 
And I was in like the messy first draft stage still. And I was like, there wasn't really a lot of evidence yet to me that it was going to work. <laughs> and so that was like a weird anxiety. Like, did I sell them a book that I won't be able to finish, you know? Um, and I, I think I would rather just like write the things I want to write and then sell them. Um, I, you know, and I think at this stage, I feel like someone's going to publish the books, you know? I mean, I hope it's the people I'm working with now will continue to want to work with me, but um, but I, I don't feel like I will be writing unpublished old books. I, I don't worry about that part of it as much. Um, but yeah, it does seem impossible, especially for a first novel. I don't even know if you really can sell partial of first novel, you know, unless you're in mm. some other kind of viral environment or something where something else has gone crazy, but it seems not very helpful. Yeah. 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 No, no, that's, that's really good to touch on. And um it's interesting because in the book, I kind of underlined, you use the word magical, I think, yeah. during some of the earlier process. And I know, you know, people talk about the, the muse and, you yeah. know, all these other factors that we can't really name that go into the process. But I do think you got you kind of have to protect that magic of like, you at the end of the day have to love it. And that's something that I feel like is a job in itself to, to keep that mm -hmm. going. Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot about uh my writing time as being a place where I'm like really allowed to sort of make my own fun to really sort of allowed to indulge in my imagination and my memories uh, a place to to think my own real thoughts my own real feelings uh which is something that you know the culture at large does not really want you to do right they want you to think the things you're told to think and buy the things you're supposed to buy and uh and there's something about uh that time that feels really special to me that you know days where i wrote well i feel more like myself than on days i didn't you know um and so there is some real value in it i know i mentioned i had two books that i wrote before my first novel that or two novels that i wrote that i i didn't send out but i also very frequently still write like 150 page novel starts and then step away from them for whatever reason and uh between my first and second novel i did that twice between my second and third i did it four times so like there's six after i became a published novelist there's six novels i wrote about half of a first draft and then walked away from wow. um right which you know is like a ton how do you know it's not something to pursue? One was like a flinch that was on my part. I got into my head like this is the wrong next novel to write or publish or something. And I, I lost one for self-century career reasons, which is dumb um, because no one's ever told me I can't write about something. Um, I lost one just I couldn't figure it out. You know, I just I, I, I couldn't get the plot to work. Um, one, I was writing about something where I was a little out of my cultural depth. And the more I researched, the more I realized how much I was out of my cultural depth. And I think I eventually was like, this is maybe just not a book for me to write, or this is something that I will never be able to sort of do well. Um, but I learned so much writing that book. And I feel like I still think from the things I learned writing it. And, and that's maybe my, my broader point is like, the, the books that don't get completed are not failures. Like no effort is wasted. Like I had fun working on those books. I learned a lot working on those books. I became a better writer by working on them. They just didn't become something I published. Um, but they weren't a waste of my time. It's again, I don't have to make all of my money from writing novels, which is probably also allows me to be freer. Um, I would write a different kind of book if I had to write a book every 18 months to like survive, right? Um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, you yeah. Know, on that yeah. sort of treadmill. <laughs> uh-huh. That seems very daunting yeah. to me to, to have to do that, you know? Um, and so I'm lucky that, you know, I uh, my day job as a professor, you know, also pays the bills. So, um, but yeah, I, I I don't think any of that is waste. I don't think any of it is is I don't even think of it as failure. They're not failed novels. They're just things that didn't become published books. Um, those Thanks were good me. ways to spend my time, um, and that I I'm glad I did. Um, 
I very rarely get anything from them in a publishable way. I worked on a book for two years that ended up publishing a two-page short story from me. <laughs> sort of like, you know, effort to effort to product way, a very bad year in the factory. But uh, but I really liked working on that book too. And I liked what I learned while I was doing it. It's all, it's fine. Um, and it does inform who you are as a person, of course. No, I, I love that. And I and I think that, um, like you say, you're always going to get better at it, even if no one sees it. Like you're still improving and you're still investing in your creativity and and actually, I, I really got that from you. And I don't know if I'm like assuming something. I, I literally met you today. Um, but when I was reading the book, I felt like you have high standards for your work, but you're also someone that like gives yourself a break and like writes a lot. Some people are just perfectionists and they never do anything. And then some people kind of just throw things out there. So to have that balance, I found really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that's that feels right. Like I do in the end feel very perfectionist about the work, but I, I think like the process is allowed to be messy sort of way. And maybe that's part of that reassurance of seeing it in the book and seeing the steps and seeing the, all the sort of the not knowing that goes into this final product looks very confident. Yeah, I, I think there's there's lots of parts of the process that are meant not to be, how do I say, uh, Jing Smiley talks about like suspending judgment, you know, and they, a lot right. of it is you're just like, you you want to suspend judgment of what you're doing. It's certainly how you think other people will judge it. You know, I think that's the real, I really think writer's block is almost entirely a, a product of like comparison. You're like, I wish I was writing like this person. I wish my writing seemed as easy as it seems like it is for this person. I wish, you know, I had this career and it just jams you. And then if you can stay in contact with the things you actually love about writing, whether that's the, the language or the characters or story, whatever your particular thing is, even if it's just like being by yourself for two hours, which is a good reason to write. Um, yeah. I think uh, like staying in contact with that joy sort of holds you through. Um, and then there's a time for like, is it, can I make this the best I can? Can I make this, you know, the most perfect expression of itself? Um, but I think that's mostly done by not worrying about that on most days, you know, there's a, there's yeah. a time and a place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It kind of reminds me of like the two sides I have when I'm writing or working on a project, which is like my writer self and my editor self, yeah. even though I'm not a skilled editor at all. Thank God for editors, but you know, my writer self can just be judgment free. And then the editor right. self is like going back with a different brain. And I feel like I can't do both those things on the same day. I have to like put it right. in my schedule, what brain I'm going to have. But that's really helpful. Another part of the book I absolutely loved, and I don't know if you were talking about Appleseed in this bit, but how you don't necessarily know what your character is. It's like you're putting mm. stuff down on a page. And I think, did you say one of in one of your books, the character didn't have a name for ages or you didn't even know like the gender. It was more the feeling and the emotion and the story. And for anyone listening, he's like, these are great tips, but I don't know what to write about. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I was talking about my my second novel, Scrapper, which is, is kind of a, a crime novel set in like the illegal metal scrapping uh, that takes place in like the abandoned buildings in, in Detroit, in Michigan, where I grew up. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to write about that setting and that action, but I didn't really know what the story was. And so uh, I, the rule I had for myself was that I could write anything I wanted, write my islands, as long as the I kept the character acting. So in every scene, he had to be doing something, you know, sort of, I was just, a lot of it was just writing him working, you know, and doing this kind of like dangerous metal scavenging sort of work in these abandoned buildings. Um, but inevitably, as you, as you write, this is in like the close third person, the, the descriptions are being filtered to the character, right? So to describe a room is to also like 
show a person looking at that room or feeling in that room or, or remembering things because they're in that room. And so just by keeping the character acting, keeping the characters making choices, I eventually, you know, figured out who the person was. And I sort of started to understand some of the things that they were like afraid of. I think the book's about fear in a certain way. And I, I was getting a sense of him as a person. Uh, and the the real inciting incident of that book is that he discovers a, a young boy who's been kidnapped in one of these abandoned houses and he rescues him and then, um, and then tries to solve this sort of unsolved um, mystery. But I didn't know that until I'd been writing for a couple months. And like one day I was like writing him in this empty house and he's pulling wires out of the wall and things like that. And I was like, oh, there's a boy in the basement, you know, and I just had an sort of new and... Um, wow. And it was wild to sort of like be there. The character's name now is Kelly and to be there with Kelly when he found that and have I had no idea in advance. Um, but if I just kept moving him through the space of the novel, eventually the, the reason he was there would would happen. And it was, you talk about magic, that felt, I'm getting chills talking about yeah, it. It yeah, felt yeah, magical. Yeah. Oh my God, same. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that those are the days where you're like, I love doing this. Uh-huh. I was like, in two pages, he's going to find this kid, you know? And it was like, it was wild to sort of walk him down those stairs, you know, knowing what was there. And to feel that thing where like, I knew and he didn't know yet. The minute we were both going to know, it was, yeah, it was pretty, ah, oh my a good God. day. <laughs> that is just so amazing. What a good day. Because actually, yeah. I'm glad you say that because I've said this in the past to people and they're like, mm, you sound a bit mad, but there are, <laughs> there, there are times where I was writing my book. When I look back, I don't really remember writing it. Right. And that's something that really spins me out. Like I was just, something was happening uh-huh. and I don't consciously like remember thinking or deciding just came out Uh it's amazing but it came out because you set the stage for that to happen yes and i was in it the days where it didn't feel like that right you set the stage for yourself to do that yeah i love that feeling of your brain like leaping and sort of finding it and seeing it and um yeah yeah it's good if you can make your own magic that's a good reason to write too you know it's a pretty pretty cool thing do you have to be in the mood do you think people need to be in the mood Mm. how do you feel about that do you turn up anyway? Yeah, I mean, I I would say I'm generally skeptical of people like forcing themselves to do things. Like if you don't want to be a writer, don't be a writer. Like it's okay. But, uh, and maybe you don't want to be a writer today and that's okay. I, I do think for me personally, that my routine does a lot of the work, that it sets the stage for like, for the kind of magic to happen because my brain goes like, this is the time I write. This is the time I'm in this, you know? I try to write about the same time of day, five days a week and for about the same amount of time. And, uh, and when I'm doing that regularly, my brain is like working all the time and, and it does make it sort of easier to get to that magic stage. Um, I think of it somewhat like going to the gym when you are going to the gym regularly, working out is reasonably easy. And even if you don't really feel like being at the gym that day, like it gets done and you get a little stronger but when you don't go to the gym for two months and you go back in for one day it's the worst and so and then it's, it's hard for me to stay in what i see in my own process sometimes when i was writing that first published novel i wrote the first draft in about 10 months working like pretty seriously every day um and i remember like five months in being like maybe this book isn't good maybe i'm kind of bored with it maybe i should stop i guess i'll just keep going and i thought later i'm going to look back at these like what i wrote this month and it's going to seem totally different like it's going to be obvious how bored i was and when I got done, I couldn't find the pages I wrote when I felt like that. They weren't really better or worse. Mm-hmm. And what I think about now, I was a bartender for like 10 years. And sometimes you go into the bar, and you're in a good mood and the customers are great. And, you know, and, and everything goes well and you make a hundred bucks in tips. And then the next night you're like, you're hungover and the customers are terrible and you get in a fight with your coworker and you make a hundred bucks in tips. And I think most, you just kind of 
about as good at your job every day, no matter how you feel about your job. Yeah. Which I I think I think about a little bit in writing too. Like there are days where I'm just going through the motions, but they get me to the days that are good. Um, And for me, at least that's the way if I waited around to be inspired, I would probably just be doing other things. Mm. You know, I'd I'd spend my days in other ways. Um, But, you know, obviously whatever works for each person is fine. But I think for me, that regularness creates the like conditions for the magical days. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm only just realizing that association thing helps and um you know i'm superstitious about a certain cafe that i go to i always have uh-huh. good days in there but then i'm thinking maybe it's the music at like a certain level or maybe it's the the people that work there are good vibes like i don't know what it is but if if a place yeah. works i just go back there and it's the same with like a playlist or like a candle certain smell i think we can't overestimate that no not at all I think that's those are those routine things that seem silly, but they matter, you know. Um, I wish I could remember who it was. It was a, a, a woman writer wrote an article at the New York Times uh, a couple of months ago about, I think she called it self-mesmerization. And then she wears a certain color blue when she writes. Oh, wow. And it's the only time she wears it. And now she's got like all these shirts that are <laughs> that color. And, you know, and like as soon as she puts that color on, her brain just goes like, it's time to write. It's time to make things, you know. Amazing. And and it's, it's definitely the like, I only go to this cafe when I write or I only use this candle when I write. It's just like a way of of creating like a little bubble for yourself, whatever it is. I, I think that's really important too. Um, and you know, anything we can do to sort of make those uh, I must have sacred, but maybe that's what I mean. Sacred or special places for ourselves to do this thing. And that does seem like it uh, likely an important part of the process. Yeah, definitely. But many good books written with like a baby on your lap running around the house and like doing yeah, doing laundry. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also always doing that kind of stuff when I'm running too. So it's both like sacred and mundane and either way it's sort of wonderful. Totally. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I really love this book. And to be honest, I really wish I had it in the lockdown. So I'm like, why didn't you bring it out when we- <laughs> when I was having a terrible time um but no it's uh, it's so great and um it's really ignited kind of my passion again for actually this this draft that I'm working on again so honestly thank you because you know I read a lot of writing books and this one is really special thank you so much Emma I really appreciate you having me on today thank you